If you're a rapidly growing company and you're changing the way that you're doing things all the time, you don't want a 3PL partner or a freight forwarder that's been operating the same way since 1988. And they might be amazing at what they do, but it's not just what can you do today, it's how's this relationship going to look in three, four years. Ready to talk logistics? How? Can't be done. Figure out some logistics. All right, and welcome to another episode of Supply Chain. Michelle, what are you wearing? Wait, Alex, what are you wearing? I mean, not that we need a reason, but why are we wearing Gooder sunglasses? Because we've got a Gooder episode for you today. Meet Greg Bixler, head of supply chain at Gooder and wonderful stored customer. Greg spent the first decade of his career in consulting, but then realized he wanted to have a more direct impact on supply chains. Today, he's the head of supply chain at Gooder, and he's also held supply chain and operator roles at Etitude and Ruggable. Quick fun fact, Greg completed his first triathlon in 2020. And if you want to talk shop with him, you can find him out in Malibu, out in the boo, at Zuma Beach, of course, <laughs> rocking his gooders. Greg, pumped to have you on. I'm going to take these off now, but pumped to have you on the show. How's it going? How, how's life out in Cali? Uh, I'm going to do the same. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. It's going well. A lot of stuff moving and super excited to be here. Awesome. Well, this is supply chain therapy after all. So we need to start with a collective deep breath. Are we ready? <laughs> and we inhale and we exhale. <sighs> So relaxing. Indeed. All right, great. Perfect. Thanks again for being here today. We're going to jump right in. You came to Gooder about a year ago for a very specific reason. Can you tell us why you did? Joining Gooder, you know, it was April. And we're a bit unique when it comes to consumer products companies in that our peak, as you might imagine, happens during the sunny months. So while everyone is super focused on November, December, we really are tuned into May, June, July. And I have a really bad habit of starting new jobs, I think, right at peak. And so I jumped <laughs> right into the fray of things and pretty quickly realized, you know, where we are as a company and what we've accomplished is amazing. And what we've been able to deliver to our customers from an operations perspective is pretty impressive with the setup that we had, but we've outgrown it completely. Well, I'll take some ownership on Gooder's behalf of the situation we were in last summer. You know, we had orders sometimes that took two weeks or more to get out the door. And supply chain professionals know that's just not acceptable in this day and age. So one of the first things that I was asked to do when I came in was to really focus on finding a longer term solution that we could get up and running to help us scale quickly mm -hmm. and meet our customer promise so that they're not getting 4th of July sunglasses in August. Tell us a little bit about how you, when you came in, you, you know, you knew that you were outgrowing the current operation. What were kind of the, the signs that pointed to that and how did you go about it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, stepping back, I mean, uh, we're talking mostly about fulfillment, but that was, I don't think that's unique to just the outbound side of our operations. Kind of every link in our supply chain was showing some stretching. And mm -hmm. I think the symptoms that we saw throughout, you know, on the inbound side, like, lack of visibility, lack of control, confusion, everyone asking constantly, where is this launch? When is this coming in? And no one really knows. So that's mm -hmm. on the upbound side. The outbound side, tracking your your click to ship lead time, super important. You know, I mentioned that two weeks sometimes, and that's pretty wild. But then there's the secondary effects as well, right? You can look at 
how many replacement sunglasses are you sending out? What, how many canceled orders are you getting because they haven't shipped on time? And then I think the biggest one is you just start seeing a major spike in inbound for customer service. Your ticket counts skyrocket. People are asking, have you forgot about me? What's going on? <laughs> and then your customer service team starts to grow and they just get really angry at you because they're dealing with upset customers and everyone knows that that's, that's no fun. Yeah, you mentioned earlier in our prep call that if you are adding on more CS roles to deal with the influx of orders that maybe you're putting a Band-Aid on the real problem. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's supply chain folks are all about solving the root problem, right? So ballooning your team to address the problems in your supply chain is is a short-term fix. It's a Band-Aid and you're really not fixing the cause of the problem, which is, you know, a supply chain that's not operating properly. So if you dig in, figure out what's causing that, is it, you know, are you having problems getting your delivery trucks to the warehouse on time? Do you not have enough bay doors to actually move the sunglasses out? Is your racking not set up properly? All of these things can contribute to bottlenecks in your supply chain. And you really need to figure out what the cause of that is and and address that rather than just throwing more people at it. Yeah. yeah so curious, you know, when you make the decision to outsource, right? Yeah. Typically you guys were in-house in, in your own facility running the operation yourselves, doing it fairly successfully for, <laughs> for the amount of orders that were going out. But, you know, you make that that switch, make that decision that, hey, we need to find a, a partner, right? For sure. What were you looking for? What was most important, top priority, you know, for the brand, but also for you and, and your team? Yeah. So when we went out into the market to start looking for potential partners, I mean, that part of the supply chain team, right? The first place we're going to start is with analytics and really figuring out where do we need to be. And that's kind of the first filter on all of this, right? Is just making sure that the the folks that you talk to are actually in the right place. The way you do that is look at your your centers of gravity, look at your order volume, figure out where where people are actually buying. Again, shocker, our big states are the sunny ones. And then you look at where your customers are having issues, right? We're based in LA. And if your product is getting out the door late, two weeks late, maybe, and then you're shipping to Miami, that's a really long distance for that package to travel. So Location is kind of the first filter that you start with. The second is really looking to find a partner that culturally, I think, is a good fit for you. I've always thought about this in two ways. So, you know, you want to work with partners that are at a similar life cycle stage, if that makes sense. If you're a rapidly growing company and you're changing the way that you're doing things all the time, you don't want a 3PL partner or a freight forwarder that's been operating the same way since 1988. And they might be amazing at what they do. They may be crushing it. But when you need to change stuff or you need to rethink your approach, they're not going to be as agile. So I think what was super important to me and has always been when I'm looking at, at the partners I want to work with is, do they have the same mindset about growth? Are they expanding in ways that make sense for our business? It's not just what can you do today? It's how's this relationship going to look in three, four years? And then the, the other side of it, too, is this is super important for us is, are these people you actually want to work with? And I know <laughs> that the sales process can can get a little sticky sometimes and and you know the relationships can be real they can not be real but i think you're going to be in the trenches at some point right and you need to find it's just like finding a place to work yeah. you need to you need to 
pick someone that you can have that family relationship with where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I love you, we get along, but I'm also super willing to yell at you when you need to be yelled at and, <laughs> and set things correct in both directions, right? Like we, we all That's make right. mistakes, but if we, if we can't talk about them, then we're not going to fix it. Yeah. I love that last piece on communication and just partnership, right? I mean, we talk about it all the time on this podcast, Michelle and I do, of, you know, that partnership aspect of it is so important. And just the communication of, hey, this is going wrong and, and you know, we're trying to figure out how to fix it, but we're letting you know and not trying to hide anything from you. Right. All right. Well, you mentioned culture. And I've been so excited to talk about this because Gooder has a phenomenal culture. Side note, I was lucky enough to write the announcement when we got to announce the stored partnership with Gooder. And I got to quote Carl the Flamingo. And I think that was (laughs) the highlight of my year at Stored. Um, So let's talk about your culture. I mean, it's super unique. Tell us about the Gooder ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Carl is a character. He's he's our CEO. He's a kleptomaniac and an alcoholic. So, you know, doesn't bode well. But luckily, we have another chief executive octopus named Steven. So he, he does most of the work. Starting at the top, I mean, I've been part of so many organizations where they just throw around values. And for the most part, every startup has the same exact values. Mm. They just call them something slightly different. Ours are not that way. Our core values are fun and authenticity. And I think that really starts at the top, you know, fun. And by the way, fun is not partying or anything like that. I think that gets misconstrued a lot. Fun is crushing your job. Fun is being prepared. Fun is doing the things that you say you're going to do, having a vision, vision and executing against it, those kinds of things. And, you know, that kind of tying your company to those pillars is such an incredible starting point. And it bleeds through every, every part of our culture. And we have a lot of fun. That's, that's for sure. You know, (laughs) I, was really lucky this week I hosted our all hands. Everyone has to take a turn hosting all hands. We had new hires. We played welcome to the jungle as loud as we could on the DC speakers. (laughs) And we have 30 foot tall, hot pink curtains that, that opened up and all of our new hires were standing behind it. So there's a lot of fun that goes on, but this is, it's also a pretty intense environment for growth. And I think Steven does a, a remarkable job of, of setting the, the standard for having fun, but taking this very seriously. You mentioned our ecosystem. That's our fun word for what our corporate structure looks like. And we have kind of the similar things that you would expect with regards to department. We've got customer operations, all that fun stuff, but they're called herds. So I'm part of the ops herd. My team is a flock. So we're a flock of flamingos. We're the supply chain flock, but our fun name is we're the we're the crystal ball and chains. Our product development team is the fungineers. So good. Everyone, everyone here has a real title and a fun title. Technically, my title, my we call them boring titles. So my boring title is head of supply chain. My actual title is Dr. Dreage. I didn't come up with that, but it's it's fun. That's so hilarious. There's so many of these different things that are out there that make this a unique and enjoyable place to be. What really sets Gooder apart is the dedication and focus that a lot of the senior leaders have on culture. Most companies, I think the CEO would say that their primary focus is on running the business, making decisions and things like that. Steven does those things for sure. 
from my perspective, he spends most of his time focused on the people, the business, the culture, than the actual execution of what we're trying to do. And he's hired an incredible team around him and he trusts them to carry those things forward so he can focus on building gooder the way that it should be built, you know, taking right. care of the people, setting the culture up right. And we've actually, we have a team focused on building and preserving our culture, which I think is really unique for a company our size. Yeah, Michelle, I'm going to surprise you here because I'm going to pull out a stat. But I, I recently read a study from Gallup and it said that only in most organizations, only 26% of employees are actually engaged. And it kind of filters down into actually getting the job done. And I think it's you know, something that we try and do here is, you know, are you making quick decisions? Are you having an impact and, and having that engagement? Because that filters down all the way from, you know, our leadership team to warehouse associates to the people on the front lines for our customers. And it's surprising that only 26% of employees are actually engaged. And I think that focusing on the culture and, and having fun with it is part of getting the job done because it, it all filters down from top to the yeah. bottom. I mean, so one note on that, I mean, that when we were going through the selection process, that was certainly something that I picked up on. And I think the rest of the team picked up on our COO mountain. I was like, oh, culture is important. He was like, what are you talking about? This is like, you know, it's a three PL. Why, why does that matter? <laughs> and the second we walked out of that initial meeting with Stuart and he's like, I get it now. They, they think yeah. about fun. They think about being a professional the same way we do. And that's yeah. really important. Yeah. When you say fun or joy, like you get so much more joy out of hitting your goals, being successful, achieving that growth way more than the happy hours, the foosball tables, whatever yeah. it is. Like, yeah, those for sure. Great. And in a prior talk with you, you've mentioned the phrase culture dilution. Can you speak to that? For sure. So I mean, I've spent, I've talked a lot about how important our culture is and how I think really unique it is. And when I started, my first question was, why, why are we going outside? You know, we figured out how to run. Why aren't we launching a new one? The answer I was, I was surprised by was we're really worried about our ability to duplicate what we have here in another mm. location with the amount that is already on everyone's plates and how focused we are on growing, scaling, and just continuing to crush the things we're good at, duplicating that in another location was a serious concern because we don't, we didn't want to set up another warehouse in Tennessee or something like that and try to instill what we have here in that location. And if we're not going to have the exact same thing in our second location that we, that we have in our first, then we're diluting what makes what is one of our biggest competitive advantages, which is our people. So this happened even before I was was at Gooder. The the leadership team made the decision that if we can't do this right, if we can't carry our culture forward in a new location, we shouldn't be doing it at all. We don't want to dilute what we have, which was another it was a big driving factor for deciding to go out in the market to expand our network. Love it. All right, you've talked about your high growth. That was sort of a, an indicator that you wanted to expand. How awesome has it been to be at such a high growth, high velocity company? It's certainly something. Every day is different. There's always a new challenge. And I, yeah, you mentioned I, I came out of management consulting. It's funny. I was talking to a, a mentor this morning about the differences between 
being an operator and being a consultant. And one of the things that's cool about being a consultant is the diversity of the challenges. And, and every day is different. You're facing new things. You're working with multiple clients. I have that same amount of excitement as an operator because there's new challenges every day, every week, every month. There are so many different things going on at this company. There's this concept that's come up of like moon moments where it's, you know, you're on the moon and you're looking back at Earth. And you're like, holy shit, what's this is incredible. I had one of those over the summer when I was looking at our end to end supply chains. Like there's literally not a single aspect of this that we haven't blown up and are actively rebuilding. And I think that the ability to do that and to to fail constantly while you're doing that, but learn from the mistakes and keep moving forward, don't make them again, but just building something better in so many different facets, that's what really, I think, motivates me and, and gets me really excited about working for a company like Gooder. The other thing I wanted you to speak to a little bit is some of the positives, the joy, like what are the benefits of that growth and what are the challenges? Because I know you guys have experienced both sides so much and, and how wonderful it is. And also as you grow, you, you run into new and bigger problems. Yeah. Again, like it's funny how all this stuff is coming together. So each week when we have these all hands that I was talking about, Sean, who is a huge part of our culture, will give a talk on one of the pillars of our culture. So this week was actually about growth. It is one of the pillars of our culture. And I I think a huge aspect of growth at Gooder is the mindset. You mentioned having a growth mindset. And to us, what I think that means is taking big chances, being okay with failure, Mm -hmm. learning from it, and continuing to push forward. So he talked about things that are... Uh, you know, these thoughts that you can have, these concerns, these reservations of, I can't do it. I don't know how. It seems impossible. And he talked about how adding one word to that can completely shift the perspective. It's, I can't do it yet. And having that point of view of, you know what, I'm not there right now, but I'm going to keep pushing, keep learning, and it's going to happen someday. That is hugely important to how we think about growth and approach growth at Gooder. You know, you may not have the answer right now. You may not be able to do it right now. We may not be able to put sunglasses on your door in two days, but we're pushing, we're learning, we're growing, we're getting there. And I think that's, that's, I think that's super cool. It's a unique way to think about growth that isn't, you know, we just need to be on top of everything and killing it 24 seven. We need to be learning and striving towards the things that we want to achieve. So I think that's some of the stuff that's super exciting. What's super challenging is, I mean, I don't think we're unique in that. We've only got so many hands and so many eyes and we've got a lot of customers. We're really lucky in that way. And um, we're really lucky that our customers are cool. They're fun. They're doing really interesting stuff. But there are challenges associated with trying to keep up with your pace of growth. And then, you know, we try to make things as scalable as we can, but you outgrow stuff a lot. Sometimes you got to stop what you're doing, hit the reset button and, and go back to the drawing board. And that can be really hard sometimes. You know, usually you don't realize you're there until you're way past the point when you should have <laughs> made the change. I always like to ask supply chain leaders this, you know, you are dealing with constant fires, whether it be your CS team saying, hey, we're getting a, an influx of phone calls or, you know, dealing with a, a manufacturer or a partner, a 
packaging supplier, anything like that. How do you prioritize your day to day and the challenges that are coming across your desk or, or your computer? That's a great question. I, I mean, there's when you have a large global supply chain, there's always something that's broken and yeah. usually multiple things broken. So I'm really lucky and, and a skill that I've been trying to sharpen and hone in a lot is as a leader, realizing that my role is not to jump in and solve all of those problems individually. And I am incredibly grateful and learn from my team on on just every day. And I have such a tremendous amount of trust in them that I don't feel like I need to jump in and solve all of the problems for them because they're on it and they know their shit. They know when something's wrong. They know I know when something's wrong and I know that they're <laughs> going to fix it. So, you know, I've, I've only been here for a year, but I've already reached that level of trust and have I've been really lucky to to be surrounded by folks who are just awesome at what they do. And, you know, that I think in my mind is the secret to prioritizing as a leader. It's a lot easier when you don't have to devote 80% of your day to fighting a fire when there's someone who actually owns that fire and they're already on it. Yeah. You as a leader, you have to hold yourself accountable not to just dive in and, yep. you know, get your hands dirty and, and fix everything. So that's great. I think that's the hardest part of being a leader is I've solved all these problems before, right? Like I, I know the answer, yeah. but jumping in and, yeah. and not just doing it yourself or not giving the answer can often be the, the hardest part. Yeah. One other question around scalability, culture. We've talked about how you don't use models in your photos. You have scaled <laughs> to a point where I'm sure you could afford models, but you don't. So tell us, you know, what do you do use instead? And, and maybe where do you film them? Because that's really <laughs> pertinent to our industry as well. <laughs> so it's it's a mix. We, we do have some agencies we work with, but the most important thing for us, and this is obvious, I am not a creative would never pretend to be so this is not even in my wheelhouse but your shirt says otherwise greg uh, i didn't design this um but uh you know i'm just along for the ride uh you know the decision was made really early on that it is absurd to hire people that look like supermodels to wear gooders and try and sell them and it's it does not line up with our brand. It's inauthentic. We want to have folks that look like real human beings in our photos. And so if you look at our advertising, our, our content, it mirrors what the, the U.S. population, our customer base looks like. And one of the ways that we do that is we pull in a lot of our employees into our photo shoots. So typically when you see a launch come out, at least one of those folks is, is, is a gooder employee. I've been lucky enough to keep myself out of the photo shoot so far, but I'm pretty sure I'm on the short yeah, list. Yeah, now there's a bullseye on your back. <laughs> oh, for sure. They've been talking to me about getting in there. So it's, it's my days are numbered, but I'll talk. I mean, I, I'll answer the second half of your question around, you know, where is this done? Again, we want to mirror real life as much as we can. So we do a lot of shoots out in real life, um, but we also have a pretty amazing studio called the movie ranch in our warehouse and this space our creative team can do insane stuff with so we launched ski goggles this year and it was september it was the summer when this was happening and there's not a lot of snow or you know operating ski mountains <laughs> at the time so yeah. our idea was like let's just make our own and our production team 
found someone in LA who had a ski lift chair for some reason. I, I don't understand. They brought that into our warehouse. They brought a bunch of snow machines into our warehouse and they shot a full winter scene with all of these different aspects, real snow in our warehouse. And one of the main models was Chewy, who is the man and, and works for Gooder. So he's the guy with the gauges. If you're ever looking at the snow G shoots, he's, he's, he's the best. That's awesome. Love it. You know, quickly circling back to one of the first things we talked about, knowing you had to outsource your fulfillment. I mean, what's it like going through that process, deciding on a new 3PL, deciding to outsource? Walk me through those decision-making criteria again and, and, you know, how you guys looked at it. For sure. So, you know, we... We went through kind of the normal boring process of building out an RFP and setting our metrics and things like that. Um, I'm going to stop you. You said boring, more like a headache, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be. But in typical fashion, we tried to make it as fun as possible. And I think we had a, a very above average number of jokes and references to tiki bars in, in our RFP, which I was very proud of. But, you know, we went through this process of starting with, you know, a huge list of people and, and just trying to whittle that down, figure out who the right partner for us is. I talked about that cultural match, location being super important and, and just finding people that understand what we're trying to do and look like they're trying to do the same thing. And I think someone who is willing to go above and beyond and and lean into the problems that you have was really the I think the differentiating factor and and what we saw was stored you know we came in with a bit of a messy situation around how we wanted to operate this year and we saw a lot of hand waving around this and didn't feel super comfortable with some of the partners we were looking at around the solutions that were being proposed and we showed up at stored and there is a full technical art architecture drawn out on a whiteboard in the meeting. They're like, oh, no, we've already figured out what your tech stack is going to look like. And this is months before we signed a contract. Um, but that actually is very similar to how Gooder has approached relationships with some of our vendors. You know, we were starting a partnership with a shoe company and it was supposed to just be a meet and greet, but we showed up with a full deck and of like, hey, here's the assortment, here's the plan, this is what this is gonna look like. And the company was basically like, this is so much further beyond ready than we were expecting and you know, let's go. We see the prep, we see the professionalism and we're psyched. So that was a huge part of it for us as well. A lot of times, you know, supply chain leaders, it's speed, quality and cost, right? I think in, in your view in selecting a 3PL, and I might be speaking for you here, it's, you know, the, the four components are speed, quality, cost, and culture. And I want you to stack rank those. Oh, man. Speed, quality, cost, and culture. I think culture is number one, for sure. Because otherwise, it's not going to be a, a durable partnership. Speed is number two. We're working on making operations and logistics. We have three strategic advantages at Gooder. We want logistics to be the fourth. So, you know, meeting our, our customers' expectations and competing on that, we talk about it every day here. Then quality, then cost. Great. All right. 
One more question before we get to the the heavy hitters. Advice for folks entering the supply chain industry, maybe folks that have been in here a little bit longer, just career advice. I think the biggest thing is it took me a really long time in my career, I think, to figure out that most people have no idea what they're doing. And... (laughs) I think carrying an incredible amount of humility and a mindset that you have a lot to learn is super important. Ask tons of questions, find the few people who do actually know what's happening and learn as much as you possibly can from them. You know, I, I've, I tell my team, I feel like all the time, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm probably wrong because I usually am. And they, they're like, yeah, you are wrong. Here's why. And I think... Nice. Uh, by taking that approach, I have learned so much and I have seen so many different things and thought about things in ways that I probably wouldn't have if I wasn't just constantly treating it. every challenge as an opportunity to learn as opposed to an opportunity to prove how smart or experienced or whatever I am. And then eventually it just kind of takes off like by learning all of those things the motion becomes a lot easier and and the decisions become a lot more clear. I love that. All right. Quick hitter question round. Alex and (laughs) I can go back and forth. My first one, swim, bike, run. What's your favorite? (laughs) Oh, man. It changes so much. It's definitely not running. Really? Yeah, it changes. (laughs) It's not running. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get better at running, but I... Okay, right now it's 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 winter time. I'm gonna say swimming because I miss it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of swimming, I recently I'm located in Atlanta here at the Atlanta FC Georgia Aquarium Octopossi. Tell me about the partnership with the Georgia Aquarium and what that means to the brand. Yeah, for sure. So, a side note: I said that name of that those sunglasses incorrectly in a way <laughs> that was very inappropriate at our all hands on Tuesday. <laughs> But that partnership is was super cool. And I, I, y'all know this, I used to live in Atlanta, love the Georgia yeah. Aquarium, the giant whale shark or what, whatever Home Depot sponsors there is just incredible. But yeah, that's been a really cool partnership. We work with organizations sometimes to help try and drive awareness and help really promote their brand as well. The Georgia Aquarium was one. I actually don't know how that partnership started, but what was super exciting about this was, so I mentioned Stevens, our chief executive octopus, his favorite animal is an octopus and his lifelong dream was to hold one. The Georgia Aquarium made that happen. So that is awesome. It was a no brainer, right? The first pair we came out with was Octopossi paparazzi got it right paparazzi yeah that's right (laughs) awesome all right i think that's a great place to end greg thank you so much for having us if you don't have a pair of gooders already go get yourself a pair they're awesome thank you all this was great thanks greg thank you for listening to this episode of supply chain therapy a podcast brought to you by stored make your supply chain a competitive advantage go to stored.com to learn more